Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. So let's go ahead and jump into a passage of scripture that I'm, I'm super excited about this one this morning. You might be thinking, well, you say that every week, right? Um, but I am. This is a great passage of scripture, and I, I trust that we'll be encouraged by it here today. Uh, we've come as far as I mentioned is, is Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, and the account of both Jesus and Peter walking on water. Now, we considered a portion of this story last week, and this morning we will look at the full account. Now, many of you may be familiar with this story. We find elements of it in Matthew, Mark, and John's Gospels, but only here in Matthew do we see where Peter joins Jesus on the water. Mark and John do not include this detail. As you may know, Peter and the disciples are in the midst of a storm, and they're struggling to endure but they have an encounter with Jesus that serves to strengthen their faith and ultimately it carries them to the other side of the sea. If you would, read along with me this morning, beginning in verse 22. We'll read the full account here through verse 33 for context. Immediately, it says, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. If you would agree with me in prayer once more, Father, we cry out to you this morning, Lord, those in this place that have perhaps at one point said, Lord, save me. We come to you, the, the body of Christ, the church, this morning, and we ask, Lord, that you would teach us by your Spirit through your Word. Lord, we need to hear from you this morning. We need to draw closer to you, Lord. We need to work of your Spirit in our lives. And so we come to you with expectation here this morning asking that you would do that very thing. Move in our hearts here today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I wonder this morning, do any of you ever feel like you are just struggling to get through a storm in your life? As we consider all that's going on in our world, as, as I even prayerfully consider things in my own life and things in your lives that you share with me, I suspect that you do. You do find yourself at times struggling. Friends, I would submit to you this morning, and if you're taking notes, I would encourage you right off the bat here, write this down, that on the sea of this life, the way to reach the other shore is to trust in Jesus. 
we'll look at four things this morning that we need to consider as we seek to navigate the storms of this life by trusting in Jesus. We read there in verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side, while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up to the mountain to pray by Himself. Now remember that prior to this, Jesus has spent considerable time amongst His many followers. People from all over were gathering to Him to hear Him teach and to be healed, and he had just miraculously fed thousands of people. Amazing things were happening, and you could say that ministry was going very well for Jesus and his disciples. So with everything going so well, why did Jesus so abruptly send everyone away? Well, John gives us insight in his gospel. In John chapter 6, verse 15, he writes, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. You see, John gives us insight into the fact that the response of the people at this point was, this guy is so amazing, we must take him to Jerusalem and make him king. You see, what we must always remember is that God's ways are not our ways. Our inclination, my inclination, would likely be to remain and to capitalize on the increasing popularity. But Jesus recognized that this was not yet His time, nor the way in which He would be crowned King. We must always recognize that God has a plan that His ways are different, and that He operates in His perfect timing, not ours. So Jesus sends the disciples off in the boat, and He gets away to pray, to spend time with His Father in prayer. It says, now when evening came, He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary I love that New King James English there. The wind was contrary. It means it was really windy out there, okay? And the waves were starting to splash about. And and remember, many of these men, they were experienced fishermen here. And so they're working. They're working their way across the sea. Now the Sea of Galilee is more like a large lake. Nestled in the hills of northern Israel, it actually sits nearly 700 feet below sea level. Now this location makes it subject to sudden and often very violent storms as the wind comes over the mountains and then drops suddenly onto the sea. This is the type of wind and storm that the disciples were struggling against. Mark's account in Mark chapter 6, verse 48 says that they were straining at rowing for the wind was against them. If we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for a moment, we'd probably think, we were just doing great. Ministering along the shore to the masses of people. Great things were happening. Our popularity was growing. And now, here we are struggling out in this boat in the middle of the night. Not really even knowing where we're going. And and we're all alone. Where's Jesus? Have any of you ever felt that way? Maybe in your minds you're thinking, you know, just this time last year, or maybe even last week, 
or yesterday. You're saying, this was going well. I was, I was doing this. I was, I was working here. Or I was making this progress. And then, and then all of a sudden, we're in this pandemic. Or maybe all of a sudden, family circumstances changed. All of a sudden, this person gets sick. All of a sudden, this relationship is severed. All these things are beginning to, to come upon you. And it's hard. And you think back on, on the way things were and you find yourself going, Lord, I feel alone. Where are you, God? Again, maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's just anything in your life that suddenly made you feel like you've lost control. And maybe you wonder, how did I get here? And where am I even going? Friends, just as the storms can be sudden on the Sea of Galilee, so the storms and the winds of this life have a way of sneaking up on us. They often rob us of our joy. And we can find ourselves straining against the wind just to try and make it to the other side, maybe even not really knowing what's on the other side. Folks, what we must understand is that life on this side of heaven is in fact a series of unending storms. I'd love to tell you this morning that in this life they're going to go away, but they're not. That's why our hope should be in heaven and in eternity with Him. It is a series of unending storms, and, and this is not all. Certainly life has its pleasures, life has its times of peace, but we must anticipate the storms, and in order to navigate it, and this would be our first point today, I'd want you to consider, we must learn to trust in God's sovereignty over us. We must learn to trust in God's sovereignty over us. For the disciples struggling against the wind, maybe wondering, what are we doing here? We must remember, as I hope they did, that God put them there. It was Jesus who sent them out in the boat. And we must remember that if we serve a God who is sovereign and who is all-powerful, that that means that He either decrees it or He allows it. Now this does not mean that God is the cause of evil in your life or that we don't also bring consequences of sin into our lives. But what it does mean, and this is the most amazing truth that we've considered many times even as of late, is that He still, no matter the source of any of those things, takes them and is working them together for your good. Not only so that something can be accomplished in your life, so that you can see His working in your life, but ultimately, He says, as it tells us in Romans 8, 28 and 29, that you might be conformed to Him. That means today that as you consider the various challenges you are facing in your life, that you can have confidence that a sovereign God who so cares for you and who so loves you is saying, I'm taking all of these things in your life and I'm making you more like me. There was purpose in this storm for the disciples. God was doing a work and as we learn then to trust God's sovereignty, what we also must remember is that He is interceding for you. There is great comfort in this. Jesus, during this time, as they might have said, where is Jesus? Where was He? Praying. As you in your life today sometimes ask, where is Jesus? 
He's praying. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Not only did Jesus put them there, but He was praying for them. He's interceding for you. And finally, as we learn to trust God's sovereignty, remember that even when it doesn't seem like it, He is with you. Look what the first part of Mark chapter 6, verse 48. I referenced the verse earlier. I intentionally left out the first comment of Mark. As he says of the disciples out on the sea in Mark 6, 48, referencing Jesus, then He, Jesus, saw them straining at the rowing. Jesus saw them. As they were out there straining, striving against the wind, Jesus, even though they didn't know where He was or what exactly He was doing, though they could not see Him, He saw them. He saw them. Now you might say, well, is that because He's Jesus? Well, well, certainly I think we can make an argument for that. As He's seeking the Father, as He's seeking to do the will of the Father, that yes, God the Father can give Him insight into many things that are happening. But very, very practically speaking, those of you who have been to Israel and made your way up unto the hillside around the Sea of Galilee, you know that you can actually look out and see the Sea of Galilee. In fact, where Jesus was likely sitting would have given him great vantage point out onto the sea to where he likely could have seen the the, the disciples struggling out there against the wind. He could see the disciples and he can see you. Though at times you may not be able to see him, he sees you. And as he saw them struggling, he came to them. Friends, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for you. He sees you too, even when you feel alone. He knows what you're going through. And it begins with trusting Him. We read then in verse 25, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. I think we would too. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. It says it's the fourth watch of the night. It means that this is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. The disciples have been at this for a while. And now they see something out on the water. And it's Jesus. And He's just sort of walking along on the water. Mark tells us that He he would have almost walked by them if it weren't for them crying out. I think that speaks to the fact that Jesus was very casual in his stroll on the water in the midst of the storm. And they think him to be a ghost. In fear, they cry out to him. Now, of course, we see that they are told, don't be afraid. But Jesus does not simply tell them here not to be afraid, though it may seem that way, and that's often how our translations render it. Think, if you will, for a moment about you encouraging someone whether not to fear or not to worry, certainly before you've spoken to a loved one and told them, don't, don't worry. Don't, don't fear. Now, if you want to be effective in encouraging that friend or family member, you don't just say, well, don't be afraid. If so, it probably doesn't work very well. The only reason why such an encouragement makes sense is the why. Why should I not be afraid? Why should I not worry? 
Why should I be of good cheer instead of being afraid? Well, Jesus does this same thing. And we find it there in the middle of be of good cheer and do not be afraid. My translation, and likely yours, renders it, it is I. But it is so much more, in fact, Uh, What is rightly translated here says that as Jesus approached them, He told them to be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. I am is here. In Exodus in chapter 3, verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And He said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In Isaiah In Isaiah in chapter 43, in verses 1 through 3, we read of the prophet Isaiah saying, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Siva in your place, since you were precious in my sight. Jesus does not simply say here, don't be afraid. He doesn't simply say here, I'm here. What He says is, it's me. The Son of God is here. There should be no greater comfort in life than knowing that Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, is with you. If that doesn't bring you comfort today, then something in your life needs to change. In verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, no one really knows what prompts Peter on this course of action. It's Peter. (laughs) Peter was a little crazy. He was zealous. He was energetic. He wanted to go after the Lord. Again, Matthew's the only one to include this part of the story, and I don't think it's to honor Peter so much as for us to see what happens. Nevertheless, what Peter does here is certainly a great demonstration of faith that is bolstered by the news that this figure on the water is not just a phantom or a hallucination, but the Son of God Himself. And so he is, he is an example to us of one who when he learns that this is Jesus coming to him, that he also must take a step of faith and go. Whether it's someone who has not yet given their life to Christ, you need to step out of the boat and go to Jesus when he says come. Or to the Christian today who says that you are living sold out for Jesus, but you're unwilling to leave the comfort and the security of the boat to follow Him. Life in Christ requires radical steps of faith. If anybody tells you otherwise, they're trying to sell you something. It requires radical steps of faith. We see in verse 29, so He said, come. We've seen this a few times here recently, haven't we? God there in the ark calling to Noah, come. Jesus earlier calling to those who are, rear, who are weary and striving, come. Over and over again, we see in Scripture the invitation from Jesus to come to me. Verse 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, or excuse me, when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So Peter takes this step, he goes out onto the water. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. 
I want us to see here quickly that Peter responds to the invitation. Please note that a sovereign God who gives an invitation requires also that Peter responds. He steps out of the boat onto the water, but then the wind stirs up the waves even more, and Peter begins to, in fear, sink. And this brings us to our second lesson in learning to trust Jesus. First, we must trust that He is sovereign over us, and secondly, don't fear. Now certainly you could say that this point here builds on the first. And yes, I would agree, awareness of His sovereignty diminishes fear, but you must choose not to fear. You need to remind yourself, perhaps, not to fear. Friends, I want you to understand, fear will sink you. It will sink you like it sank Peter. You might ask, well, how do we not fear? Peter's demonstration, his example for us, makes it clear. Eyes on Jesus, not on circumstances. Jesus said, don't be afraid. The Son of God is here. And so often, though our eye, though, so often, our eyes are on everything other than Him. Our eyes are on our circumstances, which may seem overwhelming. Uh, those, those things, those circumstances are the wind and, and the waves overtaking us. Our eyes may be on the, the shore, which is really that destination we're seeking. It's, the, it's where we're going. We, we can't help but look at, oh, I've, got, I've just got to get there. I've got to get through this. I've got to get to the other side. And you take your eyes off of Jesus. Your eyes may be on your friends that are back in the boat. And you, you think, well, I want to be back there with them, but I'm out here on the, on the sea. And, and the fact is, they don't understand. They don't understand what's going on right now as I'm out here on the water. And maybe you begin to resent them because they just don't know what's going on in your life and so now you've put your eyes back on them and 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 you're angered by the fact that they don't get it and you're not looking at Jesus there can be so many different things that we shift our eyes to our eyes go all about and we look to and we trust in other things and all we need to do is look to him if this is you today there's nothing for you to do other than cry out to him like Peter did Lord, save me. And maybe that's a first-time salvation thing, or maybe it's you just recognizing once again, Lord, I've looked to other things to save me. I've looked to other things to fulfill me. Lord, come to me again. And immediately it says, don't you love how Matthew includes in here over and over again? Immediately, immediately, immediately. Jesus stretched out His hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Little faith is one word in the Greek. Why do I mention that? Well, it's just kind of funny because it seems as if Jesus here calls him by the name Little Faith. He almost uses a term towards Peter in this moment. And indeed, this Little Faith is the cause of his doubting and his subsequent seeking, but sinking, excuse me, but lest we think that somehow we need to grow and add to our faith in our own effort because that, that can often be our natural response, right? If, if, if Jesus says to Peter, little faith here, then, then we can think, well, I've got to grow my faith. I've got to do something to, to increase my faith. What we must recognize here is though, yes, Peter had little faith in this moment that contributed to his doubt and his sinking, his little faith is the faith that caused him to step out of the boat in the first place. It caused him to, to choose to believe and so what we must recognize here is the most important thing with faith, I would encourage you to write this down, the most important thing with faith is not the size of your faith, but the object of your faith. 
whatever it is you're trusting in today to help you navigate the storms of this life, if it is not Jesus, it will fail you. We must keep our faith and our eyes on Jesus. It says in verse 32, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. You see, the inevitable storms of this life are calmed when we are with Jesus. John tells us in his account that uh, at this point, they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. For hours it seems that they had been striving against the wind, struggling against the wind, and as they willingly received Jesus into the boat, they reached their destination. <clears throat> I'd ask you again, do you find that you're struggling against the storms of this life? Lesson number three tells us that we must willingly receive Jesus into our boat. Whether inviting Him into your life as Lord and Savior, or just by putting your eyes <clears throat> back on Him and receiving what He wants to do in your life, receiving Him, allowing Him to move and, and to work in you. We must understand that Jesus is the way. And He's the truth and the life to where it is that you're wanting and need to go. And finally, we see in verse 33, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. Here we come to our fourth and final lesson on learning to trust Jesus, and that is worship Him. Listen, <clears throat> knowledge of the I Am. Time in His presence warrants our worship and praise. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that there is power in the praise. That when you find yourself straining and striving against the wind, maybe the situation in your life seems pretty dire, or, or maybe you're just tired and worn out. When it doesn't seem to make sense, I would challenge you, give Him praise. Give Him praise. Declare who He is. Jesus, You are the Son of God. Declare what it is that He has done. Lord, You've saved me. You've redeemed me. You have come. You've drawn me unto Yourself. Your Spirit has, has drawn me. You've indwelt me at salvation. You've sealed me. You've put a promise on my life. Lord, You empower me. You equip me. And Lord, right now I'm in the middle of a storm and it feels really hopeless, but I know You're there because You're sovereign. And I know that You're working and You're using these circumstances in my life to change me and to transform me. And Lord, there's times when I don't want to praise You, but I'm choosing to praise You, Lord. Whatever it is, there is power in that praise and it brings you back and gives you a right perspective on who He is. And in some cases, who You are not. May I challenge you, cease striving and allow Him to carry you to the other side. Stop trying to row against the wind and make it there on your own, but let Him carry your boat. Psalm chapter 46, or excuse me, Psalm 46, verse 10 says, and you're familiar with this if you've been through some recent studies, cease striving and know that I am God. You may think, I, I thought that verse said, be still and know that I am God. Well, a right translation of that verse says rather, cease striving and know that I am God. Perhaps Jesus is standing there on the water. 
And he's allowed for you to be in this storm. But he's looking at you. He sees you striving against the wind. And he is saying, stop striving. I am is here. Receive me in and I'll carry you to the other side. Let's pray. Father, we pause here now, Lord, and we thank you for our time in your word. Lord, we pray that by your spirit you'd continue to work it in, Lord. Cause us to meditate upon it, to consider the things you've put before us here today and what necessary changes, Lord, might need to take place in our lives. And to then know, Lord, and understand no differently than Peter was not required to strengthen his faith in and of himself, but just to look to you that we today also, Lord, would be a people that would look to you. And Father, we do that in part through taking communion, recognizing, Lord, that these are symbols of your body and your blood. But as we consider them, as we hold them, as we pray over this process of taking communion, Lord, we look to you. We remember you, Lord. And we use it as an opportunity to rejoice and to celebrate you and to give you control over our lives, Lord, once again. Father, do that work in each of us here today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org. Dot org.